0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the July 30th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. We start today with the story just released. Former Colorado governor and presidential candidate Richard Lamb passed away at the age of 85 on Thursday evening. Governor Lamb rose to statewide influence with his opposition to the Winter Olympics coming to Colorado in the early 70s and leading the effort for voters to turn down the event, the first time that would happen around the world. Lamb was the first three-term governor in Colorado, serving from 1975 to 1987, and he was known for being unafraid of controversial opinions ranging from healthcare to immigration and many in between. Governor Lamb was also a good friend of PBS 12 In this program. He hosted debates and election coverage for us in 2000 and is featured in our extended cut of our 1973 Colorado Winset Out Time Machine special, in addition to being a key ally in our 11th hour series. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we start with you. Uh, Richard Lamb left a very interesting Colorado legacy. Your thoughts?
1: And even before I moved to Colorado, what I really knew about Colorado was just how independent it was, and that was based on the whole campaign to turn down the Olympics. That was unbelievable back in the 70s, that you would fight the power structure, you would fight all the good old boys, and you would do what you thought was right for the environment, for the economy, and then you would make your way into the governor's office because of it. So he was governor when we started Westward. He, I learned a lot more about him afterwards. For example, very few people seem to know that Colorado was the first state to legalize choice. And that was in 67, largely because of Dick Lamb's work in the legislature. He always spoke his mind. He was not concerned about taking on unpopular opinions. He also would talk to you about his unpopular opinions. He, uh, you may recall the whole duty to die controversy back in the 80s when he even made Playboy Magazine. And I spoke to him several times over the last year thinking about this duty to die issue, which is really when you're talking about scarce medical resources, who deserves them? And we had some very interesting frank discussions about when older people are demanding a lot of the resources during, say, COVID, what happens, who gets the resources, and should the older people take them. He had a very, very adult, let's say, approach to death, and we will be talking a lot about all his opinions and the fact that he really represented the state so well over the next few weeks.
0: I mean, you think about the idea of an of an honest statesman, which I think sometimes nowadays people might think is an oxymoron, but someone actually uh, willing to say, here's what I think, even if it's unpopular. And then also saying, here's a, a point in my past when I was wrong. Had, Richard Lamb had that kind of confidence. We go now to our next guest via Skype. We're so happy to have him. Uh, Eric Sonderman joins us. He's a columnist with Denver Gazette and, of course, Carter Politics. And for those who may not know, Eric Sonderman began his illustrious career uh, as part of uh, Governor Richard Lamb's uh, very first administration uh, as part of his group. Uh, and, Eric, we're counting on your experience uh, with Governor Lamb to probably add a great deal of verisimilitude to your comments about Richard Lamb. So we'll throw it to you.
2: Well done, Dominic, on that question. Well done, Patty, uh, with your response. It's been a tough 24 hours since I got the word yesterday of what was the store, and then word last night that uh, Dick Lamb had indeed passed away. What a man, what a life. Me, it's been a lifetime almost. Uh, I think I was 18 or 19 when I first met Dick when I worked on his very first campaign a very young and raw field coordinator in Southern Colorado. Uh, Long before John McCain sort of coined the term straight talk and straight talk express, uh, we had straight talk in Colorado uh, from Dick Lamb. That was his brand. That is who he was at his core. He was forthright. He was deeply engaged with life. Uh, The word I've been using today in thinking about his life is one of exertion. He exerted himself physically. He exerted himself as governor. He exerted himself as a husband and father in these latter years as a loving and doting grandparent. He exerted himself intellectually. He was always up for an intellectual challenge. He thought it was an attribute to sometimes change your mind to the often these days for a politician to change their mind even with new information or changing conditions is to quote flip-flop uh, dick clearly had this attitude that if you have the same opinion when you're 40 as you did when you're 20 and then that age 60 as you did when you're 40 you're not really thinking and you're so- certainly not rethinking um i obviously could go on he was a formative influence in my life he was a formidable leader for the state of colorado the last thought i 'll leave you with dominic on 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 my mentor is that at toward the end of his governorship, his poll numbers were almost flat, constant between his support among Democrats and Republicans and unaffiliated. Try to imagine that uh, in this day and age, in this polarized day and age. Try to imagine a prominent Democratic or republican elected official having almost as much popularity in the opposite party. As they do in their own, and that was Dick Lamb.
0: Also joining us around the table here, Michael Fields, Executive Director with Colorado Rising State Action. Uh, Michael, admittedly, much of uh, Governor Lamb's career is a little before your time, but uh, he leaves such a legacy in Colorado. And you have done—you've uh, been an adept uh, actor within Colorado politics. Certainly, you've right. run into his legacy. Your
3: thoughts on his passing? Well, first, I—you uh, know—sorry for your loss, Eric, and, and I think all of Colorado. It's a huge loss. Uh, today. Two things that that really stood out uh, from Governor Lamb uh, when I was looking through interviews and articles and everything else about him. Uh, One is what was mentioned, his straightforwardness, Um, this, you know, being candid about issues, believing in something, pushing for it, uh, trying to convince other people, fighting for those things. Uh, And he said that the most important thing for a politician was trustworthiness. And you know, whether you agree or disagree with that person, can you trust them? Uh, And I think that was a big uh, thing for him. thing was just how fascinating his career was uh, you look at it he was a lawyer an author a teacher a reporter uh, the list goes on and on he was working into his 80s um, and you know his political career he went from the state house uh, to the governor's mansion, ran for U.S. Senate, uh, and then ran for president on the Reform Party. Um, he was, you know, far to the left on environmental issues, and, and fought with Democrats on immigration. And it was very uh, an array of positions that he had. Uh, but I think there's no doubt he'll be remembered for opposing the 1976 Olympics. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm somebody who loves a good ballot fight, but looking at, at that. It's a whole other level of bold to take on uh, the Olympics, and and he was successful. It reminded me of Governor Hickenlooper taking on, you know, the Mile High Stadium name thing and kind of catapulting his political career. So I think Governor Lamb was was certainly somebody who had a huge impact on Colorado and, and will certainly be missed. Round right and at the panel, uh, with us today, Marion Goodland, uh, chief, uh, uh chief
0: state house reporter for Colorado politics. Uh, Marianne, you're also, uh, someone who had a chance to work directly with Governor Lamb. So, uh, tell us a little about your experience and your thoughts with how you cover politics. You've seen the, the legacy bear, uh, its fruit and also how different it is from, uh, the career from Governor Lamb. What are some of the things that stick out to you today?
4: Uh, first of all, um, I did work with, with Governor Lamb uh, back in the mid-90s when uh, he was director of the Center for Public Policy and Contemporary Issues at the University of Denver. I was in the Media Relations Department and was assigned to work with him and Hank Brown. What a pair. I'll tell you, you just, you just didn't ever see two politicians who had such divergent opinions but weren't afraid to challenge each other. On those things and and work together extremely well in doing so. I also set up his 1996 presidential announcement, um, which was kind of an odd assignment. Uh, Traveled to Washington, D.C. with uh, with him for some work that he was doing with Alan Simpson on Social Security reform. This this was a guy, as Patty and Erica both said, straight talk. He 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 was not afraid to express his opinions. And if they didn't sit well with the Democratic Party, oh, well. Um, you, you aren't going to see politicians like that in this day and age when you, when you look at how things have changed so much over the last 25 years, which is when I worked with them. I don't see either Hank Brown or Dick Lamb ever being the, you know, in this day and age, ever getting elected. That just wouldn't happen. You'd, politicians can't afford to have that level of honesty.
0: You hear often when people pass away, we shall never see the likes of uh, him or her again. Uh, In this case, we will certainly uh, be hard-pressed to ever see someone from the likes of Richard Lamb again. We move on. On Tuesday, the CDC recommended counties with a significant amount of coronavirus cases reissue the use of masks in indoor spaces, even for those who are vaccinated. According to the number of cases in Colorado, that would mean around 42 Colorado counties would be masking up once again. The state has not issued an official response to the recommendations, leaving the authority at this point to decide what to do to the counties that would be impacted. Eric, we begin with you on this one. It feels that like the second verse is going to be a little bit different than the first verse than this one, especially since the counties right now are in charge. Uh, do you think that's going to be something the counties really want?
2: Yeah, on the one hand, yes, the second verse is going to be different than the first verse, although on the other hand, I uh, my reaction, Dominic, when you were doing the question was that I've seen this play before and I didn't enjoy it all that much the the first time around. But yes, if this is not going to have the same kind of leadership and executive orders coming out of the governor's office, if uh, counties are going to be going it alone, it will be a different play and a problematic play. And obviously, all the opportunity for different counties to go in different directions, depending on whether they're a blue-dominated county or a red-dominated county. Uh, Just to tease my column that will run this weekend in Colorado Politics, next week in the Denver Gazette, I take on this issue, but really the issue of vaccines. And I think it is time, as we've seen over the last week or two, public opinion has really shifted and shifted hard uh, in the direction of those who refuse to be vaccinated. They have a right not to get vaccinated, but they ought to pay the price of of exercising that right. And whether that price is in terms of employment or in terms of not being able to go to a sports arena or a concert hall or a grocery store to pick up their grocery. It is time for those who are refusing to be part of the community effort at vaccination to to bear a bigger share of the burden if we're going back into another cycle of this.
0: Michael, we come to you next on this one. you know, we, we've learned at least so far that neither extreme in handling more cases is going to work. We shouldn't lock down forever. That's, that's too crushing for an economy. We shouldn't pretend it's not there. Um, that has not <laughs> boded well for people. There's something to be said about the middle. I just have no idea if the counties can get there. How do you think reaction so
3: far to these new guidelines will be? Yeah, well, I think it was a kind of a surprise to start with, given you know how quickly this came out. We knew that there was an uptick in in cases, uh, but then the the CDC comes out with this, and I think counties were kind of like, wait, what? What are we going to do now? I know at least on the school side, they had just put out, uh, you know, we're, we're in Dugco, our kids, you know, got the email and saying it's up to parents if you want to wear masks or not, and now that might change. I think you're really going to see a, a difference county by county uh, with this going on. But I think you, you know, you look at the goalposts, I think, have been moved several times throughout this. Uh, you know, first it was, let's make sure hospitals aren't overrun. Uh, then we were, you know, herd immunity, 70 percent. Then it's 85 uh, percent. You look at, at vaccines, we're supposed to help us get life back to normal. Now we're back to masks. And so I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Look, this is a pandemic. Things change. The data is constantly coming out. The Delta variant is, is you know, uh, causing, uh, you know, a lot of issues around. But I think there's, there's two positive things right now. One is that Colorado has seen an uptick. In cases, but it's not a huge spike yet. Um, So we're hoping that that doesn't continue on. And in the UK, they had the Delta variant came through pretty hard, and now it's it's back down, uh, and hoping that that quickly happens here. Uh, But I think there's one thing that's clear, and that's that the severity of COVID, regardless of the variant or not, uh, is less if you get the vaccine. Uh, You can still get it, you know, hopefully people don't, but I think the key right now is getting as many people vaccinated as possible.
0: Marianne, so far the state is not uh, taking action, not making any, we haven't heard any executive orders, emergency orders from the governor. Do you think that's off the table?
4: No, I don't. Um, It kind of depends on just how far this thing goes. We already know that we have problems in Mesa County where the the variant is causing problems for the hospitals there. Uh, The governor just lifted his emergency declaration a couple of weeks ago. So, obviously if he decides to go back and and start cranking down a little bit on things that means that emergency declaration will have to come back it's politically politically risky for him to do that however it just depends on how far this thing goes the good news i think is that the state's latest effort to get people vaccinated which is to give out these 100 dollar walmart gift cards has been relatively successful they do they are reporting upticks in vaccinations uh, in a variety of places, particularly in communities of color, which has been one of the reluctant groups to get to get those vaccinations. So there is that is the good side of it, and maybe that will be enough.
0: You know, coincidentally, that same week we also offered PBS 12 mugs as an incentive. So <laughs> it could be the Walmart gift cards, it could be the mugs. It really, it really, it's, it's kind of a coin flip at this point. Uh, Patty, uh, counties making these decisions. You have county health departments. You have counties who participate in. Uh, multiple county health departments, and then you have county commissioners who want to say, get out or get in, or now it's our decision. It can get a little messy at the county level. Uh, is that going to be something that we continue to talk about?
1: Of course. It's going to get messy. At the, it's already messy at the county level. When Polis t- pulled back the state of emergency in the middle of May, it already went to the counties. And very few issued mandates, like masking mandates or anything like that. Some, like Jefferson County yesterday, said strongly urged wearing ins- masks inside, but no, no county in Colorado yet has gone to flat-out orders of that. But that could happen depending on how things go. When the CDC came out with its kind of surprise, you know, this is going to have to happen, they were getting new information about the breakthrough variant, which is people who'd had COVID, who'd been vaccinated, who caught beta, didn't know, but they were able to definitely infect others. They were in okay health themselves, but that the beta variant is so much more infectious than the previous variant. So that seems to be one of the issues here. We're not just dealing with the counties, we're dealing with the school districts. DPS says they're going to come up with something soon. Denver has said they may be, they're considering what they're going to say. State is still holding back. They're going to let the counties decide. But depending on how bad this gets, when we just have the outbreak over the All-Star game, depending on how bad it gets, we could certainly see more rigid guidelines coming.
0: Monday morning, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock shared the State of the City address and Denver's proposed solutions to issues like coronavirus and homelessness. The major headline from the address was Hancock's proposed $450 million bond proposal that would include a building, uh, include the building of a new arena, an idea that is receiving mixed responses from City Council. Uh, Michael, as a veteran now of uh, many ballot proposals, uh, you know, in Denver, $450 million sounds like a lot of money, but Hey, Denverites have said yes to quite a bit in the past. Do you think they might continue
3: the generosity? Well, I think if it gets on the ballot, that would certainly be the case. Uh, You know, typically, uh, you know, tax increases, bond uh, increases pass on on the Denver ballot. But I think the harder part is is getting it through city council. Uh, You look at it was less than 24 hours after this comes out. Uh, John Frank with Axios has this story about how city council members are, uh, you know, were upset uh, basically on, on how it was done and the fact that, you know, does a, is a stadium really needed? Is it the kind of jobs that they really want? Uh, it's one of these cases where it seems like, you know, there's different priorities. And, and you see this a lot on city councils or even uh, at the state, le- the state legislature, the governor or mayor comes out with something and the legislature or city council is like, we wanted to spend this money differently. We wanted to do different stuff. Uh, and so you have to question how much communication or dialogue is really happening before these things are are rolled out. And the fact that publicly city council people would go out and say that they oppose this, uh, I think might have something to do with, too, the mailers that were sent out to city council people putting pressure on them, criticizing them uh, for not supporting this. And I don't think that helps uh, get those votes in line. So it's really interesting. Uh, Obviously, Mayor Hancock has two years left. This is one of these legacy things, uh, and and we'll see what happens with it. But uh, these battles are, are always entertaining to watch.
0: Mary uh, Marianne, there's, uh, you know, a, a big bomb proposal like this. The, the arena is just a part of it, but it seems to be a big part of it. So where do you think uh, this is going to go and how likely Mayor Hancock is to get this not only to the voters but through council?
4: I, I think it's going to be a- – a harder press through council than he would to uh, get it through the voters. It's, it's interesting to me that if this is a replacement for the Coliseum, and that's very not, that's not clear at this point. Um, it, the, the Coliseum has seen better days, maybe not a bad idea, but you have to look at the other pressing issues in Denver right now, particularly around homelessness, particularly around affordable housing. And given that he wants to build a new arena at the same time that you have neighborhoods like Globeville, Elyria, and Swansea really struggling with the other things that are going on in that area, is that a, a good idea or is it just another slap in the face to those neighborhoods?
0: Patty, did the idea of a new arena in uh, Denver to have this kind of capacity really come from the need from the Westward Christmas Party?
1: Yes, because it's quite a big party and we'll all be wearing masks this year. You know, with the National Western Complex, they've always talked about the possibility something will someday replace the Coliseum, although it's not remotely clear that this is the replacement for that. They've talked about wanting to redo that great little 1909 arena where the rodeo was originally held, and that kind of got thrown back with some of the, you know, the tourism funding that was supposed to help pay for that and a private partnership. Those kind of fell through, so some of that would go to helping that. Arena, but that is not the 10,000 seat arena. I don't think city council members, and especially those who represent this area where they're going to build it, are the only ones fighting this. I think a lot of people around the city are going to say, why do we need another arena um, unless John L. Way goes and the fray promised several free concerts? What is it going to do for them? I think a lot of people are wondering, why are we paying $160 million? And that's not all for to build this arena. When we are looking at the streets, which are a mess. I mean, if you try to drive around town right now, you're always encountering street work. When they're still trying to decide what to do with the homeless even though that is a very controversial position, too. But the last thing I've noticed people clamoring for in Denver, Colorado, is another arena.
0: I mean, Eric, to be fair, uh, even monster truck rallies deserve an updated uh, venue. Uh, What are your thoughts on the $450 million proposal from Mayor Hancock?
2: Monster truck rallies and uh, all-star wrestling as well. Uh, I think your question, Dominic, originally talked about – a mixed reaction, I think. Mixed is probably a charitable description of the reaction we've seen. One of my rules of politics is, first, before you roll out a proposal, you make the case for need. And I just don't think Michael Hancock and his allies have made any case or been groundwork as to why this is necessary. I identify with a lot of what Michael, Marianne, and Patty had said here, I don't want to just repeat. Let me just throw one other angle into the equation. This city right now and the state are veritably awash in money. It's endless money, it's tax revenue just because the economy is going out of very fast clip at the moment. When this when when we're awash in money, is that really the time when we need to or are well advised to go out and borrow money? I do think if it gets to the voters, uh, it is likely to pass, Denver voters being Denver voters. But I think there's some hard, hard conversations and questions and deliberations ahead at the council level.
0: Well, it's time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Well, for our disgrace, we're going to return to Aurora, where the pistol-whipping arrest of a man suspect, suspected of trespassing, you know, he wasn't carrying an Uzi, he was suspected of trespassing, was videotaped, it was incredibly violent, incredibly over the top by an officer who has since resigned, has since been charged, but we are discovering should never have been on the force in the first place. A second officer who was there and didn't report it um, has also been charged. But we have to give credit to the Aurora Police Department for in this case, unlike say the Elijah McClain case, um, Police Chief Vanessa Wilson, who has gone forward and said this was horrible, these, you know, why she sent out arrest, um, why the arrest warrants for the two officers involved. This was really incredible in a city where you would think by now the officers would know better.
0: It, Eric, we will go to you next for our Disgrace of the Week.
2: I'm going to go back to the last question we did, Dominic, about the uh, uh mayor's state of the city speech and particularly his bond proposals. It just strikes me, just to continue uh, very briefly, that this one was not ready for prime time. I think Michael nailed it on the head that this is a legacy project. It is somewhat a vanity project for Michael Hancock. Who knows? Maybe the mayor's name is going on uh, the new arena uh, if, if that were to come to pass. But this one was not well thought through. The groundwork was not laid As I said, it is not ready for prime time. And man, these lame duck years for Michael Hancock were down into, you know, counting down two years. It's going to be a long number of months.
3: Michael, your disgrace of the week. First, I want to second uh, what Patty said about the Aurora police officer, but mine uh, is about one. There's good news that we are expected to get two to three million or billion dollars in taper refunds over the next three years. Uh, the bad news is that the Democrats in the legislature are already uh, scheming ways to keep that money from going back to us. So, more is never enough, even when government's flush with money. Miriam
4: to all of those folks who have been blasting world champion gymnast Simone Biles for pulling out of the individual and all-around competitions. Simone did, and and she has said um, that she is having some some mental health issues and some confidence issues, and her pulling herself out made it possible for another American to take the gold in the individual all-around. That's the definition of unselfish and something her critics are completely clueless about
0: and the first uh, Hmong uh, medalist uh, to happen with with, uh, um, uh, uh, Miss Lee. Let's get into saying something nice, the hardest part of the show. Patty.
1: A lot of nice things this week. When you talk about Colorado's cultural history, people are beginning to recognize that's as important, say, as architecture. So you have Campamachi down in southeastern Colorado, which the House um, has, the bill is moving through the Congress to make that a national site. You have La Alma Lincoln Park in Denver, Um, On Monday night, Denver City Council will discuss making that the second cultural historic district in Denver. The first is where we are right now in five points. And next week, Historic Denver is coming out with a list of 50 other places they're looking at to preserve or at least take action on and celebrate as this city grows and changes.
2: Eric, we go to you for your say something nice. no surprise. I'm going to go back to the passing of Dick Lamb, but with a different angle. Dick was one half of a very powerful, formidable dynamic duo. The other half of that duo was his wife, Dottie Lamb, who once wrote a book entitled Second Banana uh, about her role as a political spouse. But Dottie has been anything other than a second banana. She has been a uh, just a dynamic leader in the state. Uh, she has now lost her lifelong partner. Um, she is a widow here. She's had her own health struggles over the last year or two. Fortunately, nothing that that serious. But um, I think we all extend our sympathy to Dottie as well as to her kids and grandkids on, on just such a major loss.
3: Michael. I wanted to say something nice about another politician uh, that passed away this week from a neighboring state. Uh, U.S. Senator Mike Enzi uh, passed away, and I interned for him years ago. He was just a, a great person. He was a staunch conservative, but but friendly to everyone and, and successfully worked across the aisle uh, many times. Miriam.
4: I, I say this with a very heavy heart. Congratulations to my boss and editor, Linda Shapley, who has been named the publisher of Colorado Community Media. They are getting a phenomenal, phenomenal journalist, uh, but she is going to be dearly, dearly missed by all of us at Colorado Politics and everyone in the Clarity Media family.
0: You're here, uh, a huge win for CCM. Tough loss for you guys. I totally totally understand that. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dazudi. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.